This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. The summer is going by quickly, uh, at least for me it is. I know it's been a hot one out there, um, but I had the blessing of uh, working up at the summer camps for Copper Basin Bible Camp just outside of Prescott, and I bet you're thinking I should have taken Chris up on that, uh, signing my kids up for summer camp this year. Pretty cheap, only $195 a kid, and it goes from Sunday afternoon to Friday afternoon. It is a great experience. I was up there directing the 4th to 6th grade camp. Great bunch of kids. Alex Bigham, one of the elders here with the North Valley Congregation, is also directing camp. He's up there right now with what we call the Combo Week. That's junior high and high school combined, and they're having a great time. I just posted some photos to Facebook for that. It's a, it's a great experience, great time for the kids. They get out of the heat, they get up there, it's much cooler up there, and they, they disconnect from technology. They make new friends. They re-engage with old friends. It is just a great learning the Bible and about creation and about God. Fantastic opportunity and time for them. So I highly encourage you to take a look at that. You can learn more by going to copperbasinbiblecamp.org or go to Facebook. There We have a group on Facebook, <clears throat> Copper Basin Bible Camp group. Take a look at that and uh, learn more about camp there. Well, whew, what a busy, busy month. So the summer's going through. We only got a couple of more months of pretty intense weather. Of course, we have the fires all over the place. I was out this morning, and I could smell the smoke again. And so let's uh, keep our first responders in our prayers as they're out there battling those fires and protecting homes and livelihoods and life and thank thankful for them and all that they do we are got a lot going on in this state a lot going on in our country a lot going on in our world but let us never forget the the blessings of the lord don't let us uh, uh don't ever get you know down in your mind about what's happening and know god's in control and, and i think this would be a good time to take a look at a lesson i spoke on this sunday morning from the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. And this is titled, Building Up What Was Broken Down. Now, I'm not, I don't think I've got the time to read uh, Ezra chapter 3. It's the whole chapter. So I'm going to leave that for you to do. But I, I do want to give you some things by way of introduction. The book of Ezra is divided into two major parts. you got the first six chapters, Ezra there describes uh, the return of the Jews, uh, the first return of the Jews from captivity in Babylon. And this involved the immigration of about, they, they assume about 50,000 Jews from Babylon, all the way back to their ancestral homeland there in Judah. And the chapter 2 uh, describes how the people who, who returned, they wanted to rebuild the temple, and they gave generously to that end. People provided for the rebuilding around 1,100 pounds of gold, so almost six tons. 
and three tons of silver. I'm sorry, not six tons, 1,100 pounds, so 1,100 pounds, so not, not quite a ton of gold, and three tons of silver. Still, that's a lot. Uh, another thing I wanted to note here is, now, while the Jews who were in captivity, they you know they still followed God, of course, they're there being disciplined by the Lord, but and they wanted to follow God, many of them, since, but since they were unable to get to Jerusalem, they were unable to celebrate the feast as God had commanded them in the law because, well, they were in captivity. Uh, that's when they started up the synagogue system. We, we don't read about that in the Old Testament. We don't read about it in Ezra. But we see those things in the New Testament. And maybe you've always wondered, where did the synagogue come from? Well, the, the Jews started this while in captivity. Uh, a time and an opportunity to get together and speak about the things of God, put it into the minds and hearts of the people and of the children. It's all they had. And so they started that up, and it was a, it was a good thing to do. So that, that's a, a blessing uh, for them to be able to do that. So God was disciplining them uh, in captivity so that when they came back, <clears throat> excuse me, when they came back to Judah and back to Jerusalem, they would not only be coming back to a place they were from, but more importantly, they would consider themselves as returning to God. So we see a process that I believe God led them through in reestablishing their connection and their relationship with him. Because even though what we see here in this text is an historical description of the returning exiles that, you know, returned, uh, coming together to build an altar and building the temple, it was really God himself who was the builder. He was at work creating in them through their unity and worship the people he wanted them to be. God did not want the same kind of people returning that had left. He wanted the people who came to be different than those who had left. Remember, the reason the Jews had to go into captivity in the first place was because they neglected their spiritual lives with sin and disobedience. There are times in our own Christian lives after we've experienced the discipline of God because maybe you know our sin and, and disobedience that, that God does not you know uh, that, that God does, I should say, the work of restoration in our lives as well. If we follow this story of Ezra here in chapter three, the whole thing, we'll see a process here God uses to do it. And it is a process we can use in our own lives. So the question is, how does God go about restoring us? And it starts there in verse 1. God builds up when we renew our commitment to one another. At the very beginning of the process, the people renewed their commitment to one another. They practiced that that term that seems to elude us so much in nowadays, in today's time, they practiced unity. In the original language of the Hebrew, this does not necessarily mean that every single person who came back, but that those who did came together for a common purpose. For them, the purpose was to do the work of rebuilding the temple together. Unity refers to a oneness of heart, doesn't it? A similar purpose and an agreement uh, upon the essentials of the faith. 
This wasn't the time for individualism. This was an important time of becoming involved in the community of faith again. It's a sense of community that we need to have so that we can overcome negative attitudes that can stifle our growth and divide us. If we are going to become the people that God wants us to be, we cannot, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Even if it means, you know, if, if, I understand that you can, you know, the, getting on Zoom or doing it online, that's very convenient and mostly convenient for those, especially right now, who are unable to come due to health problems. Not health concerns in the sense that, well, I'm scared of the virus or, or getting a cold, but those who just cannot physically make it to the worship assembly. At this point, if you have not gotten the vaccine or if you choose not to get the vaccine, whichever, it doesn't matter, go to worship. Go to the worship or Come to North Valley Church of Christ. There's no reason not to at this point unless there's some physical reason you cannot come. And so we need to be here and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It is when we think we can live victorious Christian lives without others of like faith. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm there. No, you're not. If you're on Zoom, it's not the same. Now, I know some are still using it, and I'm not trying to bash or guilt anyone into, into this. Not at all. Don't come out of, well, I guess Chris is, no. I want you to come because you have a desire to grow into the likeness of Christ. I want, that's why I want you to service. That's why God wants you here. And so it needs to be coming together with other Christians of like faith. It is important for us to understand that the benefits of our relationship with Christ are realized only within the context of a faith community. Paul makes that point real clear in the book of Ephesians. And we'll, we'll, I'll read this for you. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. There he says this. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, why did he give some in those ways? Well, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, as Christ, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the body of Christ, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So you, you can see there from what Paul is writing that we all come together. We're part of the Bible, of the, of the body. So we all supply something that helps the body grow. How can I benefit from you if you don't assemble together with me? How can you benefit from me if you're not 
here with everyone. Sure, you're getting some benefit by, by being online and, and hearing the lesson, but there's so much more we gain from being here with every every single brother and sister in Christ. Our relationship to the corporate body of Christians is crucial. It's crucial to the progress of the growth of our personal relationship with God. God restores us when we get together with one another, when we work together, when we play together. Whatever it is we do, we need to do it together. Number two. This is verses two and three of Ezra chapter three. God builds us up when we renew our commitment to worship. Two men are mentioned here. Jeshua and Zerubbabel, they led the families of Israel in the reconstruction of the altar of burnt offering. This new altar was set up on the foundation of the old altar of Solomon's temple. Now, I don't know if there was anything significant to that. Maybe it was a coincidence, or, or maybe it was just that it was already there, the foundation. Whatever it was, they were striving to do things the way they were from the beginning. So they go all the way back to the law, Exodus chapter 27. Where when we place that text in its context, it took place after Israel left another captivity, right? One of the ways God that God builds us up and restores our hearts is leading us back to the way we did things before. Do you, um, do you remember different times in your Christian life when you had more spiritual energy? More passion, maybe, for ministry. More concern for the need of a lost world to hear and to respond to the gospel. If you do, can you also remember what different spiritual disciplines you practiced? Maybe you spent more time in God's Word. Maybe you spent more time in prayer. Maybe you were more invested in the work or gave more of your resources, your time, and your treasures to the kingdom. Remember what Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. There he said this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. If you feel that you need to reconnect with your first love, with Christ, you can reconnect with him through worship. Celebrate the goodness of God in your life. That's what Israel did when they observed the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, for the first time in 70 years, there in verses 4, 5, and 6, there in Ezra 3, when they rebuilt the altar, they were saying to themselves, they were saying to the nations around them, that there's only one true God. And building that altar was the first thing they did. That's significant. In the midst of the ruins of Jerusalem, under the open sky, they worshiped the God of heaven. Do we need to return to the work, that kind of worship in our hearts. Number three, verses eight and nine. God builds up, builds us up when we renew our commitment to relay the foundation of Christ and Christ only 
in our lives. So seven months after rebuilding the altar, they, um, they began uh, building the temple. The enthusiasm of the whole group is indicated by the fact that all who came from the captivity offered their services. The Levites, as a group, supervised the service of the laymen. Again, the scriptures told them all they needed to know about rebuilding the temple, and they followed God's plan. The important question for us is how? How do we follow God's plan in rebuilding our temple? What foundation needs to be laid in our own heart again? I know uh, here at North Valley we have a few you know, uh, uh, builders, uh, construction workers, those who know a lot about construction and building. They know how to read a blueprint and follow those types of architectural plans. People who um, know how to build know that the foundation is the most important part of a building. Because the foundation determines the size, the shape, and the strength of the structure. If the foundation is laid correctly, then whatever is built on top of it, whether it's a single-story house or a skyscraper, it will stand. So the question is this. Do you have the right kind of foundation for your life? Again, let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. There he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall. Why? It had been founded upon the rock. Good foundation. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on, upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The foundation of your life must be Christ in him alone, nothing else. If he is going to be the Lord at all of your life, at, at all, then you need to allow him to be Lord. You're, it's your choice. You're the one who decides who sits on the throne of your heart. That's the free will. You build that foundation by hearing Christ's words and responding correctly to them. Then, then your faith will be able to stand in any weather. Big faith requires big obedience. I like this story from De December the 6th, 1865. It's months after the Civil War had ended. The 13th Amendment, outlawing slavery, was ratified by Congress and became the law of the land. Now, I'll bring this up because, what was that thing called? Juneteenth, right? There is a big push for us to, again, apologize for slavery, for us to pay of our, out of our pockets for slavery. I've never owned a slave. I don't want one. I have nothing against anyone of whatever color they are. The only people that irk me or irritate me are people who don't think and use their brain. I don't like that. And so let me read this story. Let me tell you the story. So the 13th Amendment became the law of land. But that doesn't mean, that, or that did not mean, that every state approved 
the ratification of the amendment. Of the amendment. Mississippi State's legislature, for example, was dominated by those who were bitter over the defeat of the Confederacy. And they rejected that measure. 130 years passed before Mississippi took action. It was 1995. They were the only state in the Union that had not approved the ratification of the 13th Amendment. So it was Thursday, February the 16th, 1995, the Senate voted unanimously to outlaw slavery by approving the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. Senator Hillman Frazier, a member of the Mississippi's Legislative Black Caucus, said this, and this is important for everyone to hear today. I think it's very important for us to put the past behind us. Just as there was a delay in some states ratifying an end to slavery in the United States, so there also is a delay in some people's lives in accepting the lordship of Christ in their hearts. Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized, uh, Ananias told Paul in the book of Acts. The Israelites, they didn't delay in laying the foundation for the temple. First thing they did. If God's going to do the work of restoration in your life, why do you delay in accepting the Lordship of Christ in your heart? Think about that. Final point here is uh, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. God builds us up when we look to the future of God's grace. So in that part of the passage, you see where the old people who were there witnessing what was happening in the book of Ezra, they looked back and they wept. Now the young folk looked ahead and rejoiced. Tears and cheers, right? Not too different from what's happening in families and congregations today. We don't want to miss out on the excitement by dwelling on the past. Your past in God's, uh, your past, I'm sorry, is God's to deal with. You can't change any of that, can you? Now, you may have to make recompense. If you committed a sin, you need to repent. If you continue in sin, you need to stop. If you stole, you need to return. For those of us who did those things, you had to have done it, not your grandparents. Your, so your past is God's to deal with. And he's promised to cover you with his grace and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. I want to end with this story. I love this story. Um, it's about two Buddhist monks. Uh, they're walking together just after a thunderstorm. And they come, they, they walk upon this, this swollen stream, right? It's a, it's a rage, not really a raging river, but it's a stream. And it's coming down. It's pretty strong currents. And there's this beautiful young Japanese woman. She's standing there on, on that same side they're on. And she's wanting the cross, but she's unable to. She's worried about the current. So one of the monks said to her, can I help you? Well, I need to cross the stream, she says. But she's worried about the, the, the current. So this monk, one of them, he, he picked her up, put her on his shoulder, carried her through the swirling waters and got to the other side along with his friend and the lady, and he puts her down. He and his companion now move on. They walk on up to the monastery. That night, his companion said to him, 
I have a bone to pick with you. As Buddhist monks, we have taken vows not to look on a woman, much less touch her body. Back there by the river, you did both. Oh. And the other man responded, My brother, I put the woman down on the other side of the river. You're still carrying her in your mind. Right? How true. How easy it is to be obsessed with the past at the expense of the future. The Israelites in this story did have a lot of misery to look back on. They did. The sin, disobedience of their fathers, 70 years of captivity in a foreign land under kings who sometimes were cruel to them. But in laying the foundation of a new temple, they recognized the hope of new beginnings. Remember, if you are in Christ, if you're in him, you are a new creation. You've been that baptism, you were buried into his death and raised up into a new life. That's what baptism does. That's why that's necessary. It's not that the water does anything. It's not that your actions uh, complete anything. But what it does do is shows your obedience of faith and what God asked of you. If you're unwilling to do that, then why is God going to do anything for you? You've got to show obedience of faith. Just like when God told Abraham to look at the stars and these, can you count them? Tell them if you can. You can't. That's how many of your people you will be, your descendants. And when he believed, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then it was shown in the fact that he was willing to give his own son. God has buried your sin. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ, he buried it into the deepest devotions. He is the one who said, I will remember your sins no more. He is the God of second chances. And if you need it, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and so on. The sound that God prefers is the sound of praise and rejoicing. He delights in the broken repentance heart, repentant heart. And I think the point here is that we ought to be looking forward. Don't dwell on the past. Look ahead. Do you make mistakes? Make the needed change and be more like Christ. Well, I'm running out of time as always, but thank you for being here. Have a blessed day. Pray for our first responders and may the Lord watch over you always and always make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of your time for the days are evil. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.